0: Welcome to a special bonus episode of The Investigation. I'm Chris Vlastos, Senior Executive Producer at ABC News. I'm joined by Matt Mosk, Senior Investigative Reporter, and a special guest today is James Meek. He's been a member of our investigative team, but is also has been tracking and covering the Julian Assange story since it broke in 2006. Today, we're also joined by a special guest, Sean Langan, who has worked with James over these past few years. And at the center of it all, Julian Assange. There are very few people that know him, but the man we're talking to today has spent at least 50 hours over the last year inside that Ecuadorian embassy as recently as last month. And we're going to get an insider's look inside that Ecuadorian embassy. Sean Langan, is a well-known war documentary filmmaker who was taken hostage by the Taliban in 2008. He is also an ABC News contributor, and he joins us by phone overseas. So listen, you recently have spent some time, you spent a lot of time, I think, with Julian Assange. Tell us about the last visit you were with him.
1: So in fact, it was uh, two weeks ago uh, on a Friday. Uh, We have these regular social visits, uh, the embassy call it because he's not allowed to have media or anyone. He's not allowed to give interviews. So every other Friday, I've been going along, and we bring lunch, and we sit in this room where they lock the door, and um, the idea is to sort of help pass the time.
0: And is it in his room? I mean, what's his room like? Is it just like a hotel room, or can he move around? Uh, Paint the picture for us.
1: Yes. Well, after five hours, I found it very claustrophobic and wanted to get out. Uh, it's a small embassy in a very nice part of London, in Knightsbridge, but it, it's, it's, a, it's like an old 1950s Havana Spanish-Mexican embassy, and you're ushered into a one room, which has a long desk, and it's a meeting room, and then they lock the door.
2: And then he's uh, blasting music, right, Sean?
1: There's one window, but that's got mesh on it to stop electronic eavesdropping, so there's no natural light. There's also uh, cameras, CCTV, security cameras, so you're being filmed. And then Julian Assange, for his own reasons, to, to counter the, the, the measures, the, this recording, filming, he, he puts on music. So you sit there for five hours in one room and they, they lock the door. And I, I, I went along with a friend of his called Vaughn Smith, who's been one of his loyal supporters, and when I was there, they have two speakers with music. One was blaring out uh, David Bowie. Can you hear me, Major Tom? And I think on the other speaker was some classical music. Sometimes he, he plays white noise. So it's, it's an unusual uh, environment. And
0: he seemed uh, disheveled, I mean, today. I mean, obviously he was arrested, but was, was he that way when you saw him last week?
1: Well, he, he looked better. No, so in the last few months, before Christmas, I went in to see him. And he really has, since, since relationships with the Ecuadorian government have deteriorated, his look and his physical being um, have changed. So he, in the last few months, he had very long hair, not like all the videos of him on TV, which are from four years ago, five years ago. He now has long hair. And until a few weeks ago, he had this very big bushy beard. Which I noticed today, uh, his hair was in a ponytail, and he's, he's shaved the beard, he's trimmed it. So, in fact, I thought today he's looked he looked slightly more presentable than he has in recent months. And, and is that out
0: of stress is, that he's doing that? Or is he just kind of... I mean, is it is it a heart of darkness kind of thing? Sure. Or not? Uh,
1: and I'm not saying this as a, a supporter of Julian Assange or as WikiLeaks, but uh, I, I was i was kidnapped by the taliban for four months and kept in a room now i know his is very different circumstances and he sought asylum but leaving aside the reasons why he's in there five years inside now i was describing drawing a picture of this one room with this dark dining table and a room full of listening devices he actually just next to that has a small bedroom and that's where he's been living for five years but in the last Six months with the new Ecuadorian government. It's no longer even a friendly, small, airless environment. Uh, In all the visits I've been, they're very polite, but they would knock on the door and hand him a leaflet saying, or a document, please sign this, that you agree to some new terms or you agree to have a health check. So going back to your question, that takes its toll. You know, since Christmas, he's been expecting to be thrown out uh, and extradited and physically as well it's, it's taken its toll i think not being with sunlight not having sunlight uh lack of vitamin d he, he was shaking hands last time i met him he shook hands with his left hand in a rather limp way i think he now has back problems muscle problems so yes i'm sure it's it's uh it's both stress stress-related, uh, and also just physical confinement has taken its toll.
2: But he has been eager, Sean, to talk about his situation and uh, even, you know, some of the characters that have come before Mueller's investigation, Jerome Corsi, Roger Stone, and so forth, mm. uh, talking about the jet parked in Heathrow, the U.S. Department of Justice jet, recently. Yeah. He he, loves, he likes to talk about this stuff and, and yeah. uh, dance around whether WikiLeaks did business with the Russian intelligence services, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I'd say a number of things. I met him, I think, when, you know, WikiLeaks first broke out onto the world stage, you know, when they were releasing the the various cables and, and army files and he was a very different person and he at that point thrust into the limelight as I imagine it would affect most people who are suddenly front page news in every country in the world. There was this sort of what I imagine a computer geek not with the greatest social skills in the world clearly you know into that kind of hacking world what might some people might consider slightly conspiratorial the man i met in the last few weeks is, is very different i uh, and one thing that struck me is uh, that line that you know through suffering one learns empathy and he he now he looked me in the eye which he i don't think when i first met him five years ago this sort of computer nerd didn't make eye contact with fellow humans. And just to, before I ask you a question about the, the jet being there or what the Americas were planning, I, where I felt really sorry, where there is this human element to the story, because whether you like what WikiLeaks do or you don't, or whether you like him as a person or not, and I know there are very many camps divided on this, he looked me in the eye and I could sense, and he said it, he had this real fear now, which I think is about to be realized of spending the rest of his life in a supermax federal prison in America.
2: And what does he fear happening there? What will happen to him?
1: What does he say? Well, there was two. So first of all, he did say he was right if he was in a normal American prison, being beaten up. And then I said, well, the chances are you're more likely, I mean, it's slightly gallows humor. It, was, it didn't really make him feel better. I said, well, don't worry about being beaten up. You're most likely going to be put into one of those federal max prisons where you don't see a soul. And then I really saw in his eyes someone who's just spent five, six years inside that confined space, albeit still uh, uh, free and he's got the asylum. The, the idea now that he could face the rest of his life in isolation, you can see the toll it's taken on him. And that, that that's a, it's an unpleasant thing to see that in any man. So that's hanging over his head the whole time, and I can see real fear, and, it, and it's now real. You know, In the years before, I imagine there was a slight impression that it was all a bit of a game. Or people think, are these people, they've seen too many movies, or... So when he does talk, he talks about, you know, Sean, when you've got the CIA after you, NSA, uh, a, a superpower after you, but in fact, you're sitting in a room surrounded by cameras and listening devices, uh, and um, it's not melodramatic. It's not some conspiracy movie. That I, I, I imagine these these organisations and you know, US intelligence organisations are very much focused on him. And it's taken its toll, and he's under great pressure. Whilst we're having lunch, he would, I would ask him these questions about the, the Mueller inquiry, the investigation, and the, uh, the charges of organisation one. Did did WikiLeaks? collude with the Russians knowingly and did they cooperate with the Trump campaign team and when to release those Democrat files. He would describe now uh, this is my opinion of him and, and the way he argues I'm sure he would dis- disagree with my take on it. He seemed to be very strong on things when it suited him and then rather vague on other things but he was very strong and I think this has been borne out by the what what we know of the Mueller investigation, that he described Roger Stone and Trump Jr. He said those bunch of clowns. Uh, that's his direct quote. Those bunch of clowns couldn't conspire and organize this kind of thing. And I suspect he may that might be correct. Does uh, he
3: still, Sean? I'm curious if you know. Does he still carry with him the the sort of value set that he's always had about protecting his sources, or could he turn around? under these conditions and start talking about where some of the material for WikiLeaks came from.
1: He's very guarded on that. And I think that's, uh, I mean, one thing it's, it's this it, this whole six years, seven years inside that embassy, one thing that's been shown is that he's, he's got that, that sort of character type who's not for changing, not for compromise, and often to his own expense. You know, he's an absolutist, as it were. I'm not sure myself personally, having spent time with him and and met the other WikiLeaks people, including Kristen, who's now head of WikiLeaks, you know, how principled it always is. You know, sometimes they have their own principles. So when you'd ask him direct questions about the timing, the release of certain files, I didn't always feel their answers were as concrete as others might be. Do do you know
3: more generally what he thought of President Trump?
1: Yes, well, I mean, there was the famous quote, which I discussed with him, that when he, a few years ago, at the time of the election, he would said, well, the difference between Trump and uh, Clinton was like the difference between cholera and gonorrhea. I was never sure which one was he was referring to as gonorrhea or cholera. but
3: But he knows uh, that the president uh, championed him. What was it, James, 137 times? I believe it was 137.
2: 137. I think we're going to play some of those bites.
3: WikiLeaks. I love WikiLeaks. The sad part is we don't talk about WikiLeaks because it's incredible. WikiLeaks just released another debate question. This just came out. WikiLeaks. Another one came in today. This WikiLeaks is like a treasure trove. Uh,
2: In fact, Trump just came out and said that uh, he knows nothing about WikiLeaks. He said moments ago today it's not my thing. But what did he say about Trump? Didn't he uh, comment yeah. on his marvelous use of social media?
1: So with me, I think now, you know, when he was talking about these clowns, he used that phrase, these bunch of clowns, and he was specifically referring to Roger Stone at that point and Trump Jr. I got the impression he might include the president uh, in, in that view. It, it was not, it did not certainly did not hold him in high regard and he was quite dismissive. But in previous conversations I'd had with him, and from my reading, my understanding was, you know, there were. I did see the, the tweets between WikiLeaks and sometimes direct personal tweets and Trump Jr. My impression is, at that time, he was getting quite carried away and excited to be there in the middle of the U.S. election and in touch with the winning campaign team.
2: But he was impressed with Trump's ability to use this... Uh, Twitter, uh, you know, a platform of the millennials. Uh, Didn't he call him something like an idiot savant in one of your meetings?
1: Yes, yes. And so that's why I think when we talk about principles and do they give up sources, uh, I think perhaps he he would disagree, but I think he was swayed. One impression I would have, which I suspect the reason why I'm slightly umming and ahhing, one thing I notice when you talk to him, anyone who turns against him, he, he turns on as though they are traitors, You know, when I mentioned, brought up how he'd cooperated with media in the past, British and American media or film directors, uh, Oliver Stone or the Guardian newspaper, the New York Times, and then falls out, he inevitably falls out with everyone. Uh, And I'm invited to lunch, uh, but if I say anything against him, I'm sure I would be cast out. But my impression is, uh, despite no doubt I will be cast out from meeting him again, perhaps, Is he does get, there's a slight narcissistic thread to this, and I'm sure he was swept up and loved the idea that he was a power broker and he played a part in the U.S. election.
0: But, Sean, going back to what you were saying, that maybe he's afraid, that his face of spending the rest of his life in solitary confinement in a supermax prison in Colorado. Would he give up? Would he maybe one? Would he give up sources? Would he make something up to try to get out of jail? You
1: know, that's a very difficult question to answer. I can tell you what I know and what he said. Uh, one of the hardest things he found psychologically to deal with is even when he was confined in that embassy, he was still in control of this his global network WikiLeaks, and he talked about it like that. And yet he wasn't in control of his own body and person inside that. And I could see it was it was debilitating and it's quite crushing. And the way he was looking ahead with Doom, that the thought that he would be in a far worse isolated place, a max prison in America, who knows how a man will um, cope, what he would say at that point.
2: What you're getting to, though, is his mental state has changed pretty dramatically. Just your observational...
1: Uh, well, I would say, and I've noticed this with uh, having observed close, close up other hostages. Hostages, uh, someone who survived five years in that, six, seven years, whatever it is in that Ecuadorian embassy, uh, there's an enormous amount, there's uh, incredible strength uh, and reserves. So if, if it's well known amongst hostage, kidnapped, captivity psychologists, if you last that long, you develop this thing where you can keep going. The real trouble happens if, you, when you're let out and you try and revert back to life in the free world. So in fact, so even though I said it's physically and psychologically taken its toll, that doesn't mean he wouldn't keep going in that. And so I think he's capable of lasting them out.
3: Sean, could I ask you about, the Russians have put out a statement uh, from the Kremlin today condemning his arrest. And uh, I think we've heard when he was, uh, before he was confined in the embassy, that uh, he denied the Russians were involved in leaking material to him. Did yep. he shed any more light to you on his relationship with the Russians or his plans to potentially go to Russia?
1: Over the courses of these lunches, which lasted for five or six hours, I would occasionally ask questions. And he was happy to talk about them, you know. He denied uh, specific questions I'll give you just for the quick rush ones. He denied releasing uh, the Podesta Democrat files two hours after the, the p- grabbing video. He said that's incorrect. He, he was going to release that. And if you check the WikiLeaks statement, uh, it wasn't it wasn't to help Trump. On the Russia front, he issued denials um, uh, on pointed questions he would say no. When he said no to things, he, it was more like shutting down conversation than an expansive denial.
2: But you asked about his, the communications with Gutsford 2.0, which Mueller in an indictment of the Russian intelligence operatives references. And he said something to you about the fact that they WikiLeaks were not the only ones talking to that persona
1: online. Exactly, and that I took to be a non-denial denial that in fact he was saying, yes, he had, that was an admission that he had been in communication with Guccifer too, and his response was "Why? Reuters and AP and others had uh, been in communication with them, so why pick on WikiLeaks? So that wasn't a direct denial, of talking to Guccifer too.
3: I'm trying to imagine his day in court in the United States if that day comes. I'm curious, Sean, what you think he will be like when he shows up at the courthouse, if he appears on the stand. What What do you expect?
1: Well. Uh, what well, you saw today, briefly, you know, he was sort of shouting out some, you know, like, uh, I don't want to use the word grandstanding, but, he, you know, he was using that, he was that moment in public as he was being taken out of the embassy by the British police and put in the back of their trucks. He, he was in political mode. Uh, I think he'll very much hunker down, batten down the hatches, and will use any court hearing, any public hearing, any chance he gets, he will see it as a, a political act and he will make statements, I imagine. Whether one unfairly could call it, perhaps glibly, he's going to be saying this, you know, uh, but he, I think what I can say for sure is this is not a game for him now. He knows what's at stake uh, and he could be facing life in solitary. So I think uh, this is now, whereas before, when the first WikiLeaks scandal broke and he was put under house arrest and Even with the Swedish allegations, this is no longer a game for him. You can see that in his eyes, he's really deep down scared of being beaten up in some prisons but deeply disturbed at the thought of being in solitary for the rest of his life and cut off from his beloved network of WikiLeaks.
0: Did he discuss the legal indictment? The American indictment is actually only saying that he is being charged with a crime which would only face five years in jail. Um, that he gave the passcode or helped uh, yep. uh, Chelsea Manning,
2: well, you know. in the last visit, he uh, did tell Sean, you know, Sean shared some of our reporting and our assessment that they were going to try to prove that Assange was not a journalist, his longtime defense, and that he had done things, his methods uh, were not what journalists do. And he seemed to be aware of that, right, Sean? Yeah. That, that was their strategy.
1: It's odd. He often talks about... Whatever he talks about theories, conspiracy, he always does as though it's great surety, and it's not always clear how you would know. But he has talked uh, of the meetings I've had with him. How, when the Mueller investigation is over, uh, that's when Trump will say, on. You can go after uh, Julian Assange, you know, that. Uh, and then timing-wise, he's as well talked often about that the the release of Vault Seven. Uh, The CIA files and previous files, the diplomatic cables, have so angered, whether it's State Department, uh, CIA, Department of Defense, that they were going to go after him, and they were the secret indictments, sealed indictments, and the world would see. And so he's never thought of it as just five years. But yes, he was talking about, and WikiLeaks people had been in touch with Chelsea Manning's defense team. I don't know if Chelsea Manning personally, I think she declined to talk to them but when the grand jury recently taking place dealing with the Chelsea Manning case WikiLeaks were reaching out and he was very much aware of the indictments and the questions she was being asked and relating it to how he could see and he said I can see this is where they're going to go after me on this front that I solicited I wasn't acting like a journalist or a publisher that I was encouraging Manning to, to have. He, so,
0: he saw this coming. He knew they were going to come after
1: him. He, he sits there and is uh, cut off from the world, but, but also connected. He, he, he was saying an interesting, and I'm not quite sure how he's managed to do it when they cut off his internet. But he, one thing I do know, if, when I'm in that embassy, within hours, it's on some YouTube WikiLeaks person talking about Sean Langan visiting or not being allowed in. So, and he's talked about it, and it's, he's somehow connected and able to be connected to all his WikiLeaks supporters and helpers and hackers around the world. So he's very well informed about developments in what's happening in Ecuador. He seemed to be always one step ahead. Uh, in fact, the Ecuadorians at one point were accusing him of hacking their system. So yes, he's very well informed in many cases uh, what the Justice Department are doing, grand juries. And then he spends the rest of his time thinking about these things. And But also seems a, a little paranoid.
2: Who, you, you said he thought that some of the Ecuadorian CCTV cameras were piping live video into CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia.
1: Yeah. The last visit, he said, it was like a development. Like, yes, now this is now being as though before it had been recorded and then sent to the cia but he was saying now this is now being fed live to cia and langley
3: does he have a plan do you think sean does he have some idea of what he's going to do next
1: uh, i'm sure the various i mean it's with, with the this british attorney lawyer they've been able to game play this rather like the british and the americans and the ecuadorians all sides have been gaming this various scenarios how how this is going to play out, and I'm sure they've all prepared their chess moves well in advance.
3: Well, to Chris's point, um, the charge against him in the United States seems to uh, have predicted his next chess move. It doesn't. It precludes uh, a defense that he's a journalist. It doesn't actually go yeah. after him on any crime that would allow yeah. him to say, "I deserve the protections of a journalist."
1: Yeah, whether it's being fed live or not, I'm sure. I'm sure they they well, it's publicly and, and privately, I think the moves are. And in fact, uh, his lawyers have been in talks with the British uh, and the Australian Embassy, the consul has got involved. So I think it's it's their chess moves are kind of, there has been some level of discussion amongst the various governments involved and his lawyers.
0: But I think there's always been a story or there were stories recently that if, if this day had come, there'd be a secret trigger of, of Dead documents. Man's Switch. Dead Man's Switch. Uh, do you believe that
3: that he would well, unleash some kind of attack, cyber attack on the world in in revenge,
2: or, or a trove of documents that have been stolen from the U.S. or other governments that we don't even know that's
1: about? That's not something he shared with me. Cloud. I mean, uh, uh, that's not something he shared with me. He he, I he was preparing for this time. So when 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 there was the, in the news reports about that the airplane and WikiLeaks had tweeted. There was a plane, which its ID reference that had been involved in some uh, previous
2: a, a U.S. government
1: Condition, plane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he was thinking aloud, musing on the possibility, as we were having lunch, that that plane maybe there a British airport waiting to render rendition him to America. And of course, it didn't happen. And I asked him at that point, "Well, you know, are you prepared for just in case, you know, the British, the Americans come and you're on a plane?" And he said, "Well." You know, I've made some preparations and I've recorded uh, this. He, he, he explained what he has done is uh, he, there's probably a, a, a statement, whether it's audio or printed or visual, I don't know, a prepared statement that they would be able to release in the event that he's in No,
0: Now, one other story that uh, came up recently, and I think it was the Guardian newspaper, correct me if I'm wrong, about Paul Manafort. And his visits, possible visits and meetings that he had with uh, Julian Assange. Do you know anything about that?
1: Yeah. So that was one of the examples I was talking about earlier on. Some things, when he's on strong ground, he's very adamant. uh, And and he's not so adamant when he's, I think, on shifty ground. So he was very adamant saying, and um, I'm not sure I can use this word, he said, that's bull." I never met him. Uh, So he strongly denied that. Where, where there, there leaves a doubt is when you then say, well, were you in communication with a third party or an inter- interim, then he gets vague. So, you know, there was other people. Uh, so, no, but on the Paul Manafort, he, he said, there you go. Once again, bullshit. Media, you know, it's not true. Never happened.
0: Pamela Anderson I know this is a big U-turn, but what what was the nature of their relationship? Do you know?
1: Well, I mean, yes, I met her with James at the Frontline Club. Um, she was visiting him uh, regularly. Vis- you know, he he's tired of meeting lawyers. All he normally meets uh, uh, is his lawyers, his legal team. Uh, and hers was very much a social visit. She would bring um, gifts. Uh, now, one thing I could answer, you haven't asked me directly Is I do know the Ecuadorians don't allow overnight visits, so I think hers would be a social visit like mine and Walt Smith's.
3: Can I just ask, because just to set it straight, there have been all kinds of reports about the conditions uh, that he's under, and that he's put feces on the wall or that he doesn't do any dishes or that there are cats running around cat. feral yeah. can can you shed some light just on what it actually yeah. looks and yeah. smells it's, like you know, in there Smells like
1: it's like a gilded cage but a, a cage is the cage is a cage so you know the, the actual embassy is a very small little it's like a local console with very sort of old-fashioned 1950s dark Spanish Mexican furniture and there's this one room where you sit at a table, and he has this very small bedroom next to it with a, a small single bed. There is a tiny galley kitchen, and when we go for lunch, he goes into this little galley kitchen, uh, gets the plates, and we eat food, and then he takes the plates back, and he will wash them up.
2: No it, feces it was, on the wall that you saw, no cat
1: droppings. No, it was no, didn't it smell it, bad. It, no, and he he, he he there was no smell about him either, and it was—it was odd. That really affected him. This is where, when you're in that psychological, batten down the hatches, some things hit you more than others. So he's prepared to be attacked, or undermined, or criticised by the CIA. But when the New York Times described him having smelly socks, he—that really hurt him. And, Particularly, he and was worried love. about how
2: women would think of him for that.
1: At one point, he looked me in the eye and he said, Sean, you know, this I said, has this, it's clearly got to you. And he said, yeah, I mean, you know, when I look into a woman's eyes, I know she's now thinking, you know, yeah, he raped those women and he's got smelly socks. And I was thinking, well, I think the smelly socks isn't quite as bad as a woman thinking you've raped another woman. But So I was thinking he's, he's definitely on a spectrum. Where he doesn't quite get things, but that's slightly unfair. But he's clearly genuinely upset at the thought that women and the public new york times and others uh publishing reports which are untrue and i think it's fair to say having witnessed it myself the ecuador is always very polite uh with me and Vaughan, and, and most of the time with julian assange i did in the last few visits hear some angry words spoken outside but it was a clearly uh, uh a deliberate and ongoing attempt at psychological warfare because every time I'd go for the visit, they would knock on the door and hand him something to sign and he he wouldn't know if what he was being asked to sign would give them the excuse to throw him out. So there was this very much a sort of psychological dark arts going on of how do you force someone out of the embassy?
2: Well, that's, I mean, utterly fascinating, Sean. Uh, Thank you for the insight, we really appreciate it. Okay, Uh, we're good.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Please be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a rating. Thanks to our producer, Trevor Hastings. For my colleagues, Matt Mosk, James Meek, I'm Chris Blasto, and we'll see you here next Tuesday for another episode of The Investigation.